And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Um, I'm, uh, I'm actually sick as a dog today. Sick as a dog. Sick as a dog. That's a terrible Trump impression. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, a little under the weather, but, uh, you know, hey, I'm here for you guys. Nevertheless, he persisted, as, as, as they say. Um, yeah, a lot to get to today. A lot to get to. Anti-Semitism. You know, blackface, infanticide, full-scale communism from the left, all that, just a ton to get to today. I was joined by my friend Nate Madden, who's the congressional correspondent for uh, The Blaze. Uh, always good talking to Nate, and it was a good chat. I think you guys will enjoy it. We try to get to as much as we possibly could in a limited amount of time, um, and we got to as much as we as much as we could. And, you know, we left out some stuff, but what are you going to do? It's a bi-weekly show. I don't, have a, I don't have a daily show, guys. Maybe one day I will, but until then, I won't be able to get to anything. So, hey, stay off my ass about it. Anyway, before I get to Nate, I need to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit, or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. Um, all their stuff is made uh, in their state-of-the-art lab out in California. It's really great stuff. They have any kind of mod, battery, tank, coil, anything you need for your vape setup, they have. Um, they have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. If you're in Northwest Ohio, check them out in person. If not, go to PremierVaporAndLounge.com. That's PremierVaporAndLounge.com. They'll give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. You really can't beat that. And if you haven't already, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Nate Madden. All right, guys, we're here with Nate Madden, congressional correspondent for Blaze Media. Nate, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm actually uh, sick as a dog, so I'm not, uh, not that's feeling not too great. I, yeah, yeah. I was going to do a solo show and take uh, questions from the, the audience today, but... um. I really didn't want to talk the whole time because I'm losing my voice. So thanks for uh, oh, you know, that's out why you there. reached out to me. <laughs> hey man, you know you you just say uh, you know you're taking one for the team. You're you're helping me out. I really appreciate it. So let's just jump into uh, some some news breaking from last night. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry guys. Uh, known communist, anti-Semitic congresswoman from Minnesota, Ilian Omar, is at it again, <laughs> tweeting last night that the Jews. Are, are buying off politicians, and that's why America supports Israel. Um, so let's just jump right into that. I'm sure you saw the tweets, Nate. Yeah, I did, and I'm, I'm seeing the fallout from the tweets, and I'm seeing the, I mean, Twitter's reaction to it is they've tried to shift the entire focus to APAC, the uh, American-Israeli Political Action Committee, and that's going to be a losing game. That, you know, that, that's the thing, is that she tweeted about the Jewish money conspiracy theory and everyone with more than you know two or three brain cells to rub together realizes that that's bad and it's anti-Semitic and they're calling it out. But then you've got the response where some people are actually trying to spark a conversation about the Jewish money conspiracy theory. So it's a mess. 
I mean, this this line that that's the the Jewish money. It's the the rich Jews, you know, buying influence and stuff. That's literally been the line to attack Jews going back hundreds of years, uh, over two two thousand years, going back to the Roman times. You know, well, they, yes, they would say certain things like this. So it's it's just it's the oldest trick in the book. It is, and so now we're at a point where you know it's the only people who still say this out loud seriously are folks like Louis Farrakhan, Ilhan Omar, and Eric Cartman from South Park. <laughs> like this is, I, I, you know, I I have a hard time believing that we're actually having a conversation about the Jew, about, you know, about, you know, secret Jewish money and all this, like in a legitimate news story these days. But then again, we also had conversations about infanticide two weeks ago. So, you know, welcome to 2019. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any limits uh, to where the Democrats will will go at this point. Um yeah, I, I mean, you you uh, you left somebody out who does agree with Ilhan Omar. It was a David Duke. Oh, yeah, came true, out this true. morning and just agreed with Ilhan Omar wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. So if David Duke is on your side. You've made some wrong Okay, so we've got, so there. yeah, on the Jewish money thing, we've got, so yeah, the Klan, Farrakhan, Ilhan Omar, and Eric Cartman. There we go. Yep, yep. Yeah, just, yeah, the company you keep, brother. It's just not looking good. A lot of Democrats have, have denounced her and denounced these anti-Semitic comments, um, which is good to see. Uh, but where are Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? I mean, they really need to to lead. I mean, they're in the leadership. They're the leaders of the Democratic Party. They're not leading at all. Chuck Schumer is, is even more disappointing because he's a Jew. And he's, to his credit, it's probably the only issue he's ever been good on. But he's been very good on, on the issue of of Israel. So I, I don't – he hasn't made a public statement. He's said nothing. Why won't these people step up and lead? Well, I mean, I don't pretend to know what's going on inside anybody's heads. What I say – what I will say is that – Democratic leadership is in a very unenviable position because this is one of those things where the you know two of the causes inside the coalition are trying to eat each other. Where you have supposedly that part of it that stands against anti-Semitism, and then you have the whole pro-Palestinian thing, which I mean, there's always the argument they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, and that's an, you know an academic argument that may be true in a vacuum in some cases, but at the end of the day, when it comes into practice those two things are trying to eat each other. Right. And if I'm Nancy Pelosi, I've got to navigate between the folks like Elliot Engel and other, other members of Congress on the democratic side who are calling this out. And then you've got this just very, very energetic, overly energized, far left, very young activist driven progressive wing that's come in, especially with these young, these young female freshmen like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and they've got to deal with that. And it's the same headache that Boehner ran into in a, a few years ago when they first started the Freedom Caucus. And this is that bizarre world inversion of it. The difference is, you know, that was a conversation between slightly spending a little bit less money but still growing the national debt and actually trying to reduce the size of government. And here you've got a democratic establishment that is, for the most part, at least understands that it needs to be nominally pro-Israel, at least not negative toward toward Israel. And then you've got comments like Ilhan Omar's, the thing that she's tweeted in the past, the fact that uh, Rashida Tlaib's got a a map with Palestine in her office, all all this other stuff that goes on. And that's the kind of insurgent versus establishment thing that they're dealing with on the left. And that's why I think you're going to see a lot of these leaders are going to, they're trying to figure out how in the hell they navigate through this. Where do they go from here? Where where, where does this end up? I, I really don't know where... I could see a couple different things happening to the Democratic Party. And honestly, one of those things I could see happening, not today, but in the next five to ten years, is 
the Democratic Party kind of devolving into a UK Labour Party party of anti-Semitism kind of kind of thing. I, I is I, I'm not saying today or by 2020 or whatever, but that could happen, or they could, you know, nip this in the bud right now and 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 you know, put these people out to pasture. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, no one's ever lauded communists on the whole, like communists and socialists, for being great supporters of the Jewish people, right? That was a right. that, that was a huge problem uh, throughout. I mean, th- throughout the Cold War and everything else. I I definitely see that the the framework is there. The ideas are there to t- to make the American Democratic Party look more like the UK Labour Party. That is undoubtedly there. How soon it would take before you have a a full-on, openly, unabashedly socialist and anti-Semitic leader of that, I, I think that is a ways off. I have to agree with you there. But I, 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 I really and truly, I, this is one of those things where I don't know how these two reconcile each other. I don't know how you reconcile a lot of this pro-Palestinian, anti, flat-out anti-Israel, anti-Semitic energy that's coming from one part of the base and others who realize why Israel exists. And they also realize that this is a gigantic conspiracy theory that that Omar and others are peddling here. Israel spends zero dollars on lobbying every year uh, under uh, as, as a as a nation. APAC doesn't spend money on politicians in the way that other pressure groups spend money on politicians. People don't seem to realize this. This is, but there are a lot of people who are being receptive to that right now. Uh, in the in the more you know, like out in Silicon Valley, the folks at Twitter who are making this about APAC instead of what she said said you know that's not just a far left niche thing anymore and that has to be addressed right right and even uh you know twitter's main page today was you know it, it wasn't exactly republicans pounce but it was it was something along the lines of you know Ilhan omar faces backlash or after uh, her comments spark a debate yeah her comments spark, spark a debate, a debate. whether yeah. or not to murder all the jews uh like, yeah, no yeah, like, end of the debate <laughs> it's like what's the next debate whether or not they control the whether I like, right, right, yeah. Don't ask the uh, D.C. City Council. Trayon White Senior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That happened before I moved out of D.C. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm uh, so the district. Oh boy, oh boy. And and before we move on from from the topic of anti-Semitism, it isn't just Ilhan Omar. Uh, we we mentioned uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the U.K. Labour Party. Uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez had a very friendly conversation over the phone with him last week. Um, they, you know, said very nice things about each other, and obviously Corbyn is a well-known, just open, blatant anti-Semite. And then it came out this morning also that uh, Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Michigan, uh, back in 2006, uh, wrote for Louis Farrakhan's <laughs> publication. So, I mean, it's just oof. Like, it's not just an isolated incident. There's, a, It is a, a major stain on the Democratic Party right now. One of many. I, I honestly, I, I don't envy everyone. I, I really don't envy the Democrats who realize that they need to get moderate votes in 2020. And they realize that if they, as they go into 2020, whoever ends up getting the nomination is going to be dragged down by all the baggage that's stirred up just over the past six weeks. 2019 has been freaking insane. Right. And we're I mean, not even yeah, close to that. <laughs> We're, yeah, we're not we're even developing February. Again. It's insane. I know, I know, I know. It's it's aggressive. You know, I, just one more point. And I I mentioned Pelosi and Schumer. It's just Pelosi is is just strictly a political animal, and she's good at it. I mean, don't oh, get me wrong. Like she's she's a very very shrewd politician. Schumer is obviously a, a shrewd politician too, and he's a political animal too. But he 
like for some reason I disagree I'm disagree with Schumer on just about everything, but he still seems like a kind of guy that does have some principles buried down deep somewhere like and he is Jewish. I just is one of these days he's going to wake up and say fuck it and be like, "Look, no. Like this is this is all right. Come on, guys." Like you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to put myself in in somebody like Schumer's position right now. And it's like, how much is he going to put up with? I, I, I honestly wish I could answer that question. I wish I knew, you know, exactly how he was going to respond to this thing. I don't expect him to let this sit an entire work. You know, we're recording this in the middle of the day. I don't ex- expect this to, to last an entire working day before they come out with something. But uh, it, your guess is as good as mine, and it, it it is kind of puzzling. This is one of those. This is one of those areas where Schumer is is not being led um, by the nose by the activist cadre of the uh, by the, of the. Democratic Party. So it's going to be interesting to see when he's finally had enough of stuff like this. Right. Right. We will. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll probably be talking about it some more on Wednesday, too. But so let's move on. Uh, I, we didn't get to cover the uh, Green New Deal yet, which is the hilarious, just hysterical proposal rolled out by uh, AOC and the other you know socialist members of of Congress. And look, I, I don't even think like the Democratic Socialist types, you know, that's, you know, Bernie Sanders calling card. I don't think they can really hide behind that label anymore. Because they've gone full communism. I mean, they've gone like full well, yeah. Karl Marx communism. I mean, they, this this proposal, the Green New Deal. Let's just go through. <clears throat> excuse me. Let's just go through a few of the bullet points just to start it off. Um, first of all, they'd want to eliminate the entire energy sector in the United States. So that's nice. Um, they want At least to as all, we know. As we know it, right? And they want to ban all cars, which is uh, tremendous, unless you drive a Tesla. Um, they want to give a guaranteed income, and I did. I did a double take. I, I was like, "Wait, did I read that right?" I did. Um, they want to give guaranteed income not just to any everybody unable uh, to work, but also to everyone unwilling to work, which was just right? hilarious. Like, I can't believe somebody put that in the document. Like they wrote that down. Like somebody wrote that down. I'm assuming somebody else looked over that. I would hope that somebody else looked over that. But in the same instance, like. For, for stuff like this, so either you just had somebody self-publish and not, not realizing that that's going to set off a bunch of alarm bells for folks, or you have multiple people in one room who decided that it was okay to tell people that, hey, look, we're going to hand out welfare checks to people who just don't feel like going to work in the morning. <laughs> Unwilling to work. By the way, you know, like everybody knows Congress people make, you know, 175 grand a year or something like that, but they have a, a huge budget for staff. Like what's their annual budget oh, yeah. for, like, for staff? It's like... They they have enough to hire like a chief of staff at a hundred grand a year, a comms director at eighty grand a year, and then like three or four well, so interns, right? Like they each have all, four or five. It all comes out of the same. It all comes. So your staff, your travel, your office expenses all right. comes out of the same pot. This the, the this this annual allowance that they have. So you can and I think I'm not sure if they've changed this rule, but it used to be that House members, unless you were had unless you had committee assignments and you had like certain leadership responsibilities on a committee, just a single rank and file House member was limited to like 14 members of staff, but still 14. we're talking about having a staff maximum of 14 before you even have <laughs> leadership or committee assignments. Anyway, my point only point being they didn't even th- like none of those 14 staff members for each one of these Congress people like thought this through. And I mean, there was typos in this proposal. So it was just, it, it, yeah. it read like it was written by a four year old, but uh, here's some other bullet points and then we can dive into them one by one. Um, uh, they want to eliminate cows because cows fart. And apparently that, that's bad. That's a good one. And also, they want to end all air travel, which prompted Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, to say, I don't think that would really work for uh, 
Hawaiians. So <laughs> there's those are just we can dive deeper, but those are just some tremendous, tremendous points they're making. And, you know, I, I heard some apologies just after they pulled the, and this is all in the FAQ document, right? This is on the frequently asked questions stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another one of my favorite lines uh, that, that I tried to use when I went to the gun show over the weekend is, the question is not how we will pay for it, but what we will do with our new shared prosperity. <laughs> um, when I called my wife from the gun show floor, that line did not work uh, oh, as much no. as I hoped it would. No. Um, capitalist. Capitalist. Nonsense. <laughs> Um, anyway, so let's just start with air but, travel, grounding all air, tra- air traffic, tra- okay, replacing so yeah, it with high the, speed rails. They want high speed trains everywhere. Okay. So the apologies is on that is, all right. So look, you know, it, uh, this is an aspirational document. All right, to have this in the best light, what you could have said was that there's a lot of unnecessary air travel going on because we have a decrepit train system. All right. And yeah, that's not to say that Amtrak is you know, falling off the rails every, every week, but no one really likes to ride Amtrak that much. And other countries, when you compare the rail systems that we have, like Germany or Japan, which are geographically smaller areas, you know, if we're if, if the technology behind our train system was on par with uh, something else in one of those other countries, we'd be able to get from New York to Boston in like two and a half hours. I mean, from DC to Boston in two and a half hours. All right, if you're going to make that critique and you know and say like, okay, if we if we invested in that, we might be able to get more people off the road. We might have fewer flights between Reagan and Logan, and fewer flights between LaGuardia and Reagan, et cetera, et cetera. You know. You can you can make that argument, but aspirationally, just throwing the line out there to say that we're going to cut down, you know, we're going to like tremendously cut down and replace that much air travel with high speed rail completely neglects the fact that there are places in this country that don't exist beside the Pacific Coast Highway or the Acela Train Corridor in the Northeast. Right. Oh, I forgot the best one. They want to bulldoze oh. every building in the country and replace it with. Oh. <laughs> okay. So let's just <laughs> what. What? What are these people thinking? Eliminate all existing buildings and build green-friendly buildings. Every build, every home, every building, hundreds of millions of structures nationwide. Take it away. You know, <laughs> good grief. And this, this is one of those things where I understand if you want to put out an aspirational document. I completely get wanting to put in an aspirational document, put a line out there. There's a difference between all right, realizing that, hey— there are designs that are in current use in America that could be upgraded that we could potentially, since we are you know, Democrats and we like spending money on things, we could find different ways and programs to upgrade those buildings to make them more fuel efficient, to make them more energy efficient, et cetera, et cetera. But, and you can find an aspirational way to say that when you go and you say things like they were in this document to say that, you know, we're going to either replace or upgrade every single building in America by the year, whatever, that is a punchline. <laughs> But it speaks to the mindset of, you know, th- these are folks who want to take control of and centrally plan not only an economy, but the lives of people who per- participate in that economy. I, this is obviously back to the Democratic leadership. It's putting them in a real pickle because obviously Schumer and Pelosi know that this is absolutely asinine BS. But all the Democrats who are running for president have to endorse this nonsense. Because the the base won't accept them if they don't, so they're in this weird conundrum right right now. Like Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, they all were like, "Oh yeah, this is great. Sounds great. Kill all the cows. Great. Ground all the airplanes. Fantastic. Bulldoze every building at home in the United States. Sounds great. Sign me up." And then like Schumer and Pelosi are like, "Okay, what the hell are we gonna do with these people? These idiotic 
Congress people in their 20s and 30s who don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. Like, how does the Democrats... I, I know I, I asked the same question on the topic of anti-Semitism, but it's like, how do they balance the next year or the next year and a half right. before the 2020 election between from the leadership, from the, the presidential contenders? Like, they have to walk this weird communist tightrope until November 2020, and I don't know how they're going to navigate this. You know, and I... I also just on that note want to back up and I feel like making this point uh, because I'm an exhausted journalist uh, already this year. Look, we're not even halfway through February and I, I've lost count. and I can't count the number of Democratic candidates that have formally announced at this point. All right. If you go back four years to 2015, Ted Cruz was the first Republican candidate to announce his April, primary right? bid for president. April. He announced in like, yeah, in like March or April. I think it was. I think it was like later March. It was March. Um, and we all said, "Like, wow, you were really jumping the gun here, Ted." <laughs> you know, like that's, he that, got backlash, like for trying. That's to... early. The most successful time statistically to announce a presidential run is around. You know, June, is between right? is over the summer, June yeah. to July. Right. And here we are, not even to Valentine's Day, and we're already stacked to the gills with Democratic contenders, and even more on the way. Um, but that's my soapbox. I'm tired. Of, of watching these uh, i'm tired of having to keep up with all this this early uh but the question is all right so for all the people that are currently in the field the other hundred thousand that are going to announce between now and august <laughs> how in the world do you simultaneously court somebody with a, a far left individual with a useless liberal arts degree who believes in all the intersectional gibbers that bubbles up from tumblr on a given day and at the same time try to woo the suburban in Independent voting, you know, mom of three, uh, who is really going to be the kind of demographic that makes or breaks this for whoever's in the general election. Right. How, do you, you know, how, how do you simultaneously go for the, you know, the purple haired kid with, you know, 22 year old with the useless liberal arts degree who believes in you know, all this insane gibberish and the Panera mom who actually lives in a geographically and electoral significant district. That is the that is the, the difficult tightrope that anybody who gets the Democratic nomination has to to walk because they have to get they have to get the far left part of their base in order to pull down the nomination but then they also have to go out into suburbia where people live in the real world to communicate a message once they get into the general well you're definitely not going to win over the panera mom by saying well you can't eat beef at panera because cows fart and that's bad also we're going to bulldoze panera and then we're going to bulldoze your house so i don't think that's a winning message for the suburbs but yeah you're right exactly <laughs> and what am i going to get when my wife wants to go to panera and i don't they don't have the state an arugula sandwich anymore i don't know I, I don't know i mean you're you're totally screwed at that point yeah i said the suburban dad you know, jonah goldberg from national review said on he was on face the nation yesterday and he was like i do not see a path because he's you know he's an anti-trump guy he's kind of a never trumper and he says yeah i don't really see a path to trump winning but i definitely see many paths to the democrats losing in 2020 and i think that clocks it pretty well like i don't know like I am a supporter of the president. I voted for him. I plan on voting for him again, you know, but I don't think his approval ratings ever going to jump above like 44, 45%. I think he's just a mid forties kind of president, but damn, can the Democrats screw this up in a multitude of ways? Well, yes. Like look, look at the last three weeks. Again, <laughs> we're not even to Valentine's day. It's yet, February and we've already had a week 11th. about fantasize. We'd have a week about blackface, <laughs> and now we're having a week about blatant anti-Semitism and Jewish conspiracy theories. That's where we are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Blackface. I know. 
I know. Blackface, anti-Semitism, you know, sec- infanticide. Infanticide. Oh, right. yeah. I almost forgot. I almost forgot about the infanticide. It feels like it was years ago, but that was, what, seven days ago, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Oh, my goodness. It's, yeah. 2019 is young, Nate. It is a young year still, and we have infanticide, you know, fourth trimester abortion, if you will, blackface, anti-Semitism, full-scale government takeover of the economy from from the Green New Deal. Man, just just some doozies. You know, going going into, you know, when when the shutdown ended, when the government shutdown ended, I was kind of personally bearish on Trump's prospects, um, just given the dynamic of, you know, what the likelihood of getting a wall done, and we can talk about that, you know, when we roll on to the next right, segment. Right. But I, I was a little bearish on that, you know, just in my head, because I, I don't see, you know, when, when he gave up the, the external pressure that he had on, on, on the negotiation process, it seemed like it was going downhill. But again, I, I see several possibilities for Democrats on a national level to jump on garden rakes with both feet. And it seems like they cannot pass up a single garden rake in ex- in their path right now. It's incredible. It's incredible. I did see a poll uh, the other day showing in a head-to-head between Kamala Harris, who's, I guess, you have to, I mean, I suppose you would say is the current front runner for the, the Dem nomination. I Maybe just because Biden isn't in yet or Bernie Sanders isn't in yet. I, I guess you'd, at this point, have to say Harris. But it showed, I forget, what was it? I don't think it was a Reuters poll. It wasn't Gallup. I, I forget, but it showed Trump winning by two points in a head-to-head matchup with Kamala Harris, which I thought was very interesting because she still has very low And See, I, I think that's the one to keep an eye on. And I, the only reason I would cast her as, me personally, I think that she is the only contender in the field right now who has the ability to bridge the necessary gap between the the Democratic establishment and the progressive grassroots that, she's gonna, that someone's going to have to do in order to be successful. And I, I don't see anybody else in the Democratic line being able to do that as effectively as uh, Kamala Harris. So that that's the head-to-head I would keep an eye on most of. Right. I You know, a, a sleeper pick for me was, I mentioned on the podcast about a month ago, was uh, <laughs> was Amy Klobuchar. Because she's, I mean, she is a progressive. She's certainly a, a far-left senator. But she kind of knows how to talk the talk and sound more moderate when she wants to. And then as soon as she announced that she's running mm-hmm. for president, which one, it was hilarious. She was outside in like five degrees in the middle of a snowstorm talking about global warming, which was just hilarious. And of course, Trump had to hit her on that on Twitter, which I like, like, look, I, I'm not like a climate denier or anything. Like I'm somewhat concerned with climate change, but just the optics just looked absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I mean, she was covered in snow. So it was like, all right. But and then also immediately as soon as she announced that she's running, it turns out she's like, a monster <laughs> to her staff. She like threw a binder yeah. at somebody's face and she's like verbally abusive but, and like the worst boss but, ever. It's like, wow. Her, she was running as like the Minnesota nice, like the nice guy kind of candidate. Yeah, trust, <laughs> because that's by far, she's the least Minnesota like, th- you know, candidate in the field right I now. Know. Hey, and, and people were, were making fun of this on Twitter, but you know who didn't throw binders at women? Mitt Romney. Suck on that, guys. Come on. <laughs> so let's move on to the wall. Obviously, I believe the uh, government money runs out on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the 15th. And, uh, you know, so we're staring down the barrel of another government shutdown, which, you know, personally bring it on to maybe make it permanent next time. But um, wh- where are the talks at at this point? I mean, from all the reports I've been reading, it, it, it doesn't look like they've made much progress at all. Uh, where are we at as it stands? 
I feel the need before we start this to make a really bad dad joke. Go for it. So we were talking about green upgrades to uh, to buildings a second ago, and now we're talking about border security. We've gone from the windows to the wall. <laughs> um, and I'm that's, sorry. That's pretty bad. Yeah. It's... I'll see myself out <laughs> after this. We, the, the answer is we don't know. There, there were talks. There were talks that the, the, the super committee, which is a, an amalgamation of hand-picked members between the House oh, and the nice Senate, use of the word was close to something. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but the talks on there fell apart. They've got until Friday to come out with something. Let's face it. You know, the, Pelosi aspirationally said that they, you know, she wanted to see some sort of pre- preliminary text, uh, you know, some, some sort of preliminary suggestion for, for a deal by the end of last week so they could adequate, you know, have enough time to go through the proper order, you know, the regular order and all this other stuff. And let's just face it. Even though that's the way that Congress is supposed to work, and that's the way that Congress is supposed to work according to its own regulations and rules, that's not how it works. They've got until Friday, so they haven't, you know, they've got until Friday to pass something, so they've got until about 11.59 Thursday night to actually roll something out before they vote on it on Friday. Um, and, you know, knowing Congress and knowing that the way this sort of thing works, that they will they will take until, you know, probably 10 or 11 o'clock on Thursday night to bake this cake behind closed doors, come out with something, and then, of course, the talking point is it's either you accept this or we do the unthinkable thing of going into a yet another government shutdown, which, you know, whether or not you think it's unthinkable or, or, you know, whatever your views on it are, you know, how much of you, how much of the government you want to see shut down, you know, forever permanently, there's just not much of an appetite to deal with that fight on Capitol Hill again. I mean, that 35 days took a lot out of people and it burned up a lot of political capital. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, it's hard to really see who, uh, spent the most political capital it, it well i mean typically well the media is always going to frame every government shutdown as as a, a losing issue for the republicans but um i, I yeah I, I don't think the american people on either side have the stomach for it right now um the, they were talking on, on fox news this morning that you know they're the, they're looking at a compromise of like two billion for a wall as like a and then the republicans call it a down payment for the wall and he'll get more you know, after the fiscal year runs out and on October 1st and then, you know, Democrats are even like, no, we don't want to give any more than 1.3 billion or this, like, is there a number that they're talking about right now? Like, is there any kind of like from, you know, cause you, this is what you cover for a living. Is that true? Like, or is, does anybody really know what this is going to look like at all? Is are people just kind of guessing? No, it, like yeah. everyone's guess is as good as everything else is, you know, you can throw out any number between 1.3 and 5.7 right now, and you could say there, there, you know, that's on the table because it really what it is, it's between the 1.3 that Democrats want to give and the 5.7 that Republicans want to get. And look, if there's going to be an actual legitimate compromise that you know does anything that actually goes anywhere, the number has to be between 1.3 and 5.7. That's just a realistic point right here. Demi- you know, Republicans gave up the external pressure on the negotiations that they have when. Trump ended the shutdown without getting uh, without getting concessions. All right, so you're not going to get 5.7 once you, once you give that right. up. Democrats have to realize that either they have to deliver more than 1.3 billion, or they better start whipping votes for a veto override on the Republican side, because they are not going to get anything that that they're not going to get a signature right, on that. Right. What I think is going to happen for for where I'm sitting right now, I think, and I think both sides expect this and are okay with it. And it's it's ridiculous. It's asinine, and it would prove that this has been an entire just charade and a waste of time for the last several months. But I think Dems aren't going to be willing to sign. 
I think we'll declare a national emergency, which is probably unconstitutional. It'll be held up in, in the courts, probably the Ninth Circuit or wherever. And uh, they'll both claim victory. <laughs> the Republicans will say, hey, look, we're trying to fulfill our campaign promises, but the Democrats suck and they blocked. And the Democrats will say, see, look, we resisted. You know, hashtag the resistance. So they'll claim victory. And then both sides will campaign on it like they always do in 2020. And it'll just be business as usual. Is that it, it, what's the likelihood of something like that happening? I mean, the likelihood that there will be something that will take off everybody in this country that <laughs> politicians will work out proportion simultaneously campaign on and then use to gravitate back towards their default status of business as usual. I mean, that's almost a metaphysical <laughs> certainty at this point, but that's a metaphysical certainty for everything right. on Capitol Hill. Right. Right. Yeah. Is, is there any way there's a deal made by this Friday that does not piss off conservatives. Uh, depends on where the expectations are. You know, if you still got some folks out there who believe that 5.7 is realistic at this point, I think they're going to be disappointed. I think there are folks who realize that number has to fall in somewhere in between. But second follow up question. How yeah. pissed is Ann Coulter going to be on Friday? <laughs> how pissed? I mean, regardless. On a scale of one to, to Ann Coulter, how pissed is Ann Coulter going to be on Friday? I'd say somewhere between, you know, on a one to ten, I'd say somewhere probably about an 8.4. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Anything <laughs> else coming down the pike on Capitol Hill that we should uh, be following? Um, any, anything off the top of your head that you've been following lately? And other than, you know, the... Blackface, infanticide, anti-Semitism, uh, full-scale communism from the left, and all, all other stuff. We anything, anything we missed from this week, the last week, <laughs> inside the Beltway. Uh, keep an eye on the Yemen, uh, the the war in Yemen resolution that's coming up in front of the House on Tuesday. Right, and where are we at with that? Uh, so that that was a you know kind of a big deal in the Senate. If you care about you know, if you care about Congress actually trying to reclaim its power to formally declare a war and say when and where we should go to war instead of this never-ending session of, execu- of of power to the executive that they've gone on over the past, you know, century or so, I, I would keep an eye on that. Right, right. And that is very important. I mean, there's been tens of thousands of, of people, including children, starved to death in Yemen. It's a, I mean, it's it's approaching, you know, what I would consider a genocide at this point. It's It's an absolute human rights catastrophe. Um, and it, if it and, ain't already, it's getting and there. And when we talk about, you know, war powers that, you know, the audience knows I've bitched and moaned about that for the last two years hosting the show. Um, like when, when Trump said he wanted to pull out of Syria, I said, absolutely pull everybody out of Syria. And then if, you know, Congress wants to protect the Kurds, vote on it, declare war, and then send them right back to go protect the Kurds. But, you know, you know, Obama invaded Syria illegally and this and that, and, you know, the last time Congress actually declared war was 1943. So, for the record, so yep. that's it's it's been a long time. So yeah, that's definitely a good one. Where can everybody uh, uh, read your stuff? And you, you have a show on the Blaze too, right? You have uh, a podcast. So on uh, on Blaze TV. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I'm on uh, Blaze TV. I'm the host of the Capitol Hill Brief. So we've got a uh, we got some fresh interviews with some members of Congress. Up, I've been going around talking to uh, some of the new freshman conservatives, finding out what their first impressions. Capitol Hill are. We've got one with uh, Texas Congressman Chip Roy coming up pretty soon. Chip, Chip. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Oh, he's a lot of fun to talk to. And uh, to keep up 
my minute-to-minute coverage, as well as memes and snark, uh, follow me at Nate on the Hill on Twitter. All right, everybody follow Nate if you care about what's going on inside the Beltway. There's nobody covers it better than Nate. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Check out his podcast uh, at Blaze Media, and I'll hopefully have him back on very soon. Thanks so much, my friend. I am Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Oh,